0: It is appropriate for us to take a look at that place of purgation and the souls that suffer there. Firstly, this morning, we will reflect on the communion of saints. Secondly, we will consider the reasons why purgatory exists. Finally, we will take a brief look at the sufferings endured there. First, let us consider the communion of saints. We are not isolated here on earth, we are united spiritually with all the members of the Catholic Church. We are united with the saints in heaven, our fellow Catholics here on earth, and even to the souls in purgatory. It should be a great consolation for us to know that we are united to all the members of Christ's mystical body. Although we cannot love creatures in God's place, either for their own sake or even for our own sake, God does want us to love our family and our friends and our neighbors for his sake. He wants us to think of our family and friends whom he has called into their eternal rest. God knows what our heart is like. He made the human heart and Jesus will to humble himself so far as to take a human heart to himself. The Gospels tell us that Jesus wept when he approached the tomb of his friend Lazarus. And he who, as an infant, must have tenderly caressed the cheek of Mary, and, as a child, embraced with affection the good Saint Joseph, he understands what it is like to think of our family and friends, to rejoice, to sympathize with those whom we love and care about. Only a loving God could have assured us that death is not in reality a separation of heart from heart or soul from soul. Death makes a change, it is true. But what is that change? It is a change that increases strengthens and ennobles that love that we have for one another in this world. And this is the change that death makes. It steps in between those friends and takes one, leaving his body to turn to dust, but leading his immortal soul into the everlasting world of eternity. Our friends whom we loved on earth still live, but now they are more worthy than ever of our love, and we are not separated. We can reach into eternity and add new glory to the blessed in heaven. Even the little praise and love that we offer increases the happiness of the souls in paradise. And we can also reach out to help those holy souls who are in pain, those souls who for a moment have glimpsed the spotless sanctity of God, and realizing their own imperfections and self-love, are suffering in the pains of purgatory. There they will remain until they have been purified so that they can stand unashamed among the saints in heaven. And by our prayers and sacrifices, we can shorten the term of their imprisonment and bring them closer to the embrace of their loving God. The moment of death is the most important moment of our life. And there is nothing so beautiful as the deathbed of a good Catholic. Having been fortified by the sacraments of the Church, the dying Catholic trusts in his possession of God's grace and of his friendship. With a strong will, he severs all the ties that bind him here. Yet, except in the case of the greatest of saints, the soul still clings to the memory, love, and protection of its earthly friends. As he experiences this new feeling never felt before, he may still be half afraid of the rending of soul from body, he may Ill, still be half afraid of meeting that God whom he so longs to possess. But the thought of the deep rest, so soothing and so sweet that awaits him, makes him realize that a lifetime of penance is supremely worthwhile. And his last best consolation from his loved ones here on earth as he breaks the bonds of this earthly existence and enters into the realm of eternity, is that they are still praying for him. He knows that as he leaves his body and comes into the veiled presence of our God, the prayers of his friends and loved ones go before him, that already their voices are pleading for him at the judgment seat of the Lamb. No sooner are the prayers of the dying over than the prayers of the dead are begun. We intrude into the court of heaven, we interrupt the process of judgment, and we silence the voice of the accuser by speaking to Jesus the judge and reminding him that that soul is his, that he redeemed it, that by the marks of his blood are upon it, and by begging him to save that dear soul, to prepare it to come before his holy presence in heaven, and not to deliver it into the hands of his enemies. In the body that is left, that body that will one day be reduced to dust and ashes, why do we sprinkle it with holy water? But because it is holy. And why does the priest incense that those last earthly remains, but because they are worthy of reverence. Cremation merely mixes the ashes with ordinary earth, but at a burial, the priest blesses the very ground into which that body will be changed, And the grave is ordinarily marked with a cross, the sign of our redemption, to remind all that nothing unholy can come near it and that the devil, the enemy of mankind, may know that there is nothing in this grave that belongs to him, but a body that was crucified and nailed to the cross with Christ. But we could never forget those who have departed before us. We could always follow their souls into eternity. From the particular judgment that Jesus makes on them, we can follow them into their prison, and our prayers and sacrifices rain down upon those fires. We pray for them at Holy Mass, we pray for them at our devotions, we remember them on their anniversaries. Just as when one part of our body hurts, the rest of the body comes to its assistance to alleviate its sufferings, so in the mystical body of Christ, by the communion of saints, we are able to help the suffering souls in purgatory. But before considering the pains of the souls in purgatory, let us ask ourselves why purgatory exists. We know that the doctrine of purgatory is founded upon sacred scripture and the teachings of the Church. But what is the purpose of purgatory? we may say that there are two reasons why God created purgatory. To satisfy the divine justice, but also to satisfy his infinite mercy. In heaven, there is nothing but mercy. In hell, there is nothing but justice. But in purgatory, divine justice and divine mercy meet. The poor soul suffering there, it is are, it is true, the victims of God's justice. But at the same time, they are the objects of his infinite love and mercy. They have passed into eternity faithful to God and united to him. Both his justice and his mercy prevent him from utterly repelling these holy souls from his presence forever. They are his friends. But nevertheless, they have brought into eternity, and before our infinitely holy God, some human weaknesses, some self-love and self-will. And since no self-love can enter into the kingdom of divine love, God's mercy has provided a place of purgation, where those souls can be cleansed of their selfishness. There they do penance for their weaknesses and negligences, until they are ready to enter, spotless and beautiful, into their father's home. And here we see just how reasonable is the dogma of the Catholic Church regarding purgatory. With this, as with all other dogmas, those who are outside the Catholic Church fall into extremes. One opinion holds that God predestines souls to hell, and that for the slightest sin, or for a Half-voluntary thought, or a careless word, God will damn a soul to hell for all eternity. But by far the more common notion nowadays is that God will automatically forgive years of living in sin without any need for penance on our part, as long as we believe that Jesus Christ is our personal Savior and believe that God has pardoned us. This, however, is a parody of the truth. The Catholic Church teaches that we must cooperate with Christ by doing penance for our sins and proving our love for him and our sorrow for having offended him. As St. Augustine says, God created us without our help, but God will not save us except by our cooperation. And this cooperation for those who have at some time turned their back on God by mortal sin, is the cooperation of penance. Jesus has redeemed the world and paid the price of the infinite debt we owe to God because of our sins. But although we have been redeemed, our redemption has not changed the nature of sin. Sin is still as hateful in God's eyes as it was when Jesus told his disciples, Unless you do penance, you shall all perish. And that penance must be done either in this world or in the next. If we've offended God seriously by deliberate mortal sin, we must atone for it in this life by penance, or it will never be atoned for, but will be punished in the eternal fires of hell and our venial sins, negligences, and faults, will either be atoned for by prayer and penance in this life, or in the fires of purgatory in the next. Father Faber used to say that he could never understand why we speak of the poor souls in purgatory. He said that they were very rich, much to be envied and little to be pitied. And it is true that they are indeed very rich, because they are God's friends, and they know that they will one day possess God forever. And it is true that compared with us who live in uncertainty about our salvation, they are certainly to be envied. But nevertheless, they do deserve our sympathy and our pity. They are poor because they are suffering, and although they know that they will one day possess God, that thought does not take away their present anguish. Even in this life, if a doctor assures his patient that he will certainly recover from his illness, the patient in the meantime is still suffering and still needs our pity and our compassion until he recovers his health. In the same way, the holy souls in purgatory deserve deserve our pity, our compassion, and our sympathy, because although they are God's friends and they are still suffering, and suffering much in the flames of purgatory, and they want our help. As Holy Job said, have pity on me, have pity on me, at least you, my friends, for the hand of the Lord has touched me. Finally, we should not fool ourselves with the false hope that the pains of purgatory are either very short or else not very great. If we were really to consider what sin is, we would begin to understand the pains of purgatory. If we look at the crucifix and see what God's justice demanded of his own son for a single sin, we would begin to understand a little about what terrible offense sin gives to God. And although his mercy saves us from the hell that we deserve, his justice requires from us some slight satisfaction, at least. Unforgiven mortal sin, as we know, is of infinite malice, and so is punished with torments infinite in duration. Venial sin also offends God, although we do not lose his friendship because of it. The punishment for unforgiven venial sins, as well as the expiation for our mortal sins that have been forgiven, is finite. As the doctors of the church teach, the pains of purgatory are the same as the pains of hell, except that one day they will end. In purgatory, as in hell, there is the physical pain of fire. In purgatory, as in hell, there is the shame and the remorse for sin. And most importantly, there is that unendurable pain, the pain of loss, pain of being separated from God. Only in purgatory, it is mitigated by the knowledge that that loss will someday give way possession. But that loss of the sight of God, even if only temporary, is still very real. We cannot understand it in this life, because although we might rightly feel homesick for heaven, still we have not seen God. And it is for this that God has created us. All our sorrows in this life are reducible to our present separation from our Father in heaven, which is our true home. At death, our souls are freed from this earth and fly straight to God. But think of the anguish it must be to find oneself impure in his sight, to realize that one is not holy enough for, to that one is not holy enough to see and to possess him, to know that he is everything our soul has ever hoped for and desired, and yet to know that it must depart from him until it is worthy to come before the face of our all holy God. To have seen the face of Jesus and to have heard his kind voice speaking words of mercy and salvation to us and then to be led away from him with a barrier of fire between us. What greater suffering could the loving heart know? The holy souls, it is true, are content with God's will that they should suffer the pains of purgatory and be purified there before rushing into his loving arms. But although they are resigned to their sufferings, The holy souls nevertheless desire us, for the love we have for Jesus and for them, to help them by our prayers and sacrifices, so that they may come more quickly into the presence of the God they love. In conclusion, we have considered how we can help the souls in purgatory through the communion of saints. We have seen the reasons for the existence of purgatory and we have looked briefly at the pains endured there. Let us remember, especially during this month of November, pray fervently for the poor souls. Our prayers and sacrifices will blow aside the flames that surround them and bring them closer to that place of refreshment, light, and peace that they so ardently desire. We too will gain by helping them, Jesus will give us the reward that he promised when he said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And let us increase our confidence in the mother of Jesus and our mother. Saint Alphonsus tells us in the glories of Mary, If we are devoted children of this good mother, and if we serve her with more special love, why can we not hope to go to heaven immediately after death? without even, even going to purgatory. Let us have great confidence in her maternal love, and let us pray to Mary for the holy souls in purgatory, and let us ask her to prove to those poor souls that she is indeed their mother of perpetual help. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen.